So, uh, good morning. My name is Cody. Thank you, Dad, for the introduction. And, and uh, as my dad has told these stories, we, uh, I've heard so many great stories throughout the years. My dad is a truly an incredible communicator and an incredible storyteller. And today, I have the opportunity to talk to you about Jesus and, and to talk about one of the most, the, one of the most gifted communicators. I mean, Jesus was the best storyteller of all time. So Jesus came on the scene 2,000 years ago and told so many stories. We call these stories parables. And these parables were not there just to grow a crowd and, and to make people laugh, but Jesus told these stories intentionally. He told these stories to teach and to challenge his listeners. And so now we get to read these stories today, and we get to be challenged in our own life. Well, today, if you want to turn there, I'm looking at Luke chapter 15. If you want to open your Bible or go to your YouVersion Bible app, We'll be in Luke chapter 15 looking at a story that Jesus tells. And I don't think it's fair to jump right in without talking about context. So, so uh, helping us get context here, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, Luke sets the stage for us here. He, he sets the stage of what is actually going on with Jesus. And so it, it says that Jesus was, was standing there, and he had the sinners and then the tax collectors. Now, you got to understand, in this time period, in this society, in this context, the tax collectors were the worst of the worst. You might know this. These were the scum of the earth. I mean, these tax collectors stole money and grew wealthy through it. These tax collectors were looked down upon people. They were hated by people because they were able to take your money and grow wealthy. And then there were the sinners. It says there were tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus was hanging around them, and, and they were interacting with each other. And then walks on the stage. Pharisees and the teachers of the law walk on the stage. They, they, they join the scene here. And we see them start to talk among themselves. They start to, they start to talk about this. It says they mutter to each other. Which is saying here that they were kind of questioning Jesus in this time. They were saying, who is this man who claims to be the son of God? Who claims to have religious authority? Who is a rabbi? Who is this man who is hanging out with these sinners and these tax collectors? They're, they're, they're questioning him here, and it says this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Who is this man? Who is this man, Jesus, who, who claims to be all of this and yet spends his time with bad people? Essentially, they're asking the question, Jesus, why are you hanging out with these bad people? And Jesus hears them talking, and, and, and Jesus responds. I mean, Jesus, in Jesus-only fashion, responds with a story. Not only one, but literally on the spot, he spits out a trilogy. He spits out three stories on the spot to help answer the question. The first one is talking about the lost sheep. And then he talks about the lost coin. And then finally, Jesus talks about the lost son. And this is where we'll find ourselves today in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus is answering the question, Jesus, why are you hanging out with bad people? And as many of you guys may know this story, it's, it's actually one of the most well-known stories and that Jesus ever told. It's a story about a father and two sons. And I can't help but think and, and, and bring a parallel between my father and me and my brother. It's kind of a similar situation with there's a father and then two sons. And it's a story about a younger son who squanders the wealth. And I cannot help but think in our relationship in my family that would be my brother. I cannot help but think that, like, that this is kind of like my situation here. And he literally goes to the father and says, Father, can I have my inheritance now as a young man? The father hands it over him, to him, and just like any young kid would probably do in any time throughout history, he goes and squanders the wealth. 
He goes and spends all this money on wild partying and wild living. And so, so here we see Jesus telling the story about a father and two sons. The younger son asks for an inheritance. He goes to this faraway land. He squanders everything that his father had made. He, he, sp he spends and, and, and lives out this crazy lifestyle, this wild living, it says. And then he finds himself broke. He, found, he finds himself without any other money. And then in this situation, he, uh, the, the economy crashes. The economy crashes. He goes bankrupt. And then all of a sudden, he finds himself in a very, very tricky situation. He lived this luxurious, wealthy lifestyle with his dad, family, and a ton of people. And now he is in a faraway land by himself with no money. Economy crashed. He went bankrupt. And then what he does is so is he reaches out to a farmer. And he, a local farmer, he persuades him to hire him. So he works for this farmer in the fields. He spends day in and day out with pigs. The Bible tells us here that he's feeding the pigs. And so he gets on his hands and knees and he works and he gets dirty. And, and this is a gross job. I mean, certainly I would never want to wish this on anybody. This is a terrible point. And if you look at this young son, he'd only lived so long. But this would probably be the lowest point in his entire life. He lived this luxurious lifestyle. He spends everything, and now he is literally working with the pigs. Have you ever had a low point? Have you ever had a really, really low point? Like you feel like you're never going to get out of it? Like you feel like you're stuck in this situation, and you feel like you can never get out? I can remember uh, very, very vividly, it was August 28, 2016, and, and this was a big day for me. I woke up that morning feeling sick to my stomach because I knew that day I was going to have to say goodbye to my dad. We, I, we had gotten to Azusa Pacific University and the rest of my family had left and, and that day was the day like we were supposed to part ways and we were supposed to, I was supposed to start the next chapter of my life in college. And I remember that day realizing uh, that I'm not as, quite as tough as I once thought I was. That I, I thought that I could get through this and this was going to be fun and easy and, and awesome. But in reality, I was actually feeling quite sick. I remember sitting there and the president was speaking to us and we were in this giant room. And then uh, he dismisses us and we have to walk outside of the room. And at this moment, then uh, we have to say our goodbyes. I mean, this is the moment that we have to part our own ways. And you might think that your pastor is a rock, but in this moment, he cried. Like, when I say he cried, he cried. Okay, but I'm not going to pick on him here because I cried too. We spent this, we, we shared this very intimate moment where we, we, shared, we said in some ways kind of our last words before the next chapter of my life began. And I knew that my dad would always be a phone call away. I knew that he would always be there if I ever needed him to. But in reality, I also knew that life was never going to be the same. I knew in this moment that life was going to shift for me. And so I walked away that day after sharing, share, shedding tears together and sharing the last kind of words. And, and, and I went my own way and I remember going and I was just crying and I felt incredibly sad. I felt like I had left Life Point in Elk Grove and my family and my dad, everybody I knew to go to Southern California, to this faraway college, to, to live this own, my own life. And now I started to second guess it a little bit. In fact, I went back to the uh, dorm hall that night, and there was 40 dudes, and you can just imagine what happens on night one with 40 dudes on a hall in college, and, and it was just crazy. I mean, they're like hooting and hollering, they're running in the bathroom, like, I don't even understand why we do these things, but the reality is they were just acting crazy. And I remember sitting there at the end of the hall in this little nook, 
I mean, it was like it was a study hall, and of course nobody's there because we haven't even started school yet. And when I'm and I'm sitting there and I'm just crying. This was a very weak moment for me, right? Like I was not strong in this moment. I was feeling a lot of sadness because I left everything I had. And in reality, we can look back and we can kind of laugh at this because this was the growing pains and this was homesickness that comes with moving away from college. But in fact, this went on day in and day out. Like literally days went by and I could not, uh, I wasn't continuously crying, but I could, like I <laughs> just all day long. <laughs> No, but like I, I just I, I felt this sadness and I would go back to my dorm and I'd, I'd feel lonely and lost And although there was all these amazing people on this amazing campus I felt incredibly lost and lonely and I, and I remember calling my dad and my mom and my parents and and just not being able to uh, I, I held on a smile and just try to sort try to fake it and tried to pretend like I was okay But the reality is I was actually really hurting inside and and this went on and on And it lasted for uh, for weeks actually I mean, I remember being incredibly sad. It was just homesickness and that, those growing pains that, that it hurt a lot. I mean, this was a low moment. And, and looking back now, I'm two years in, and I've lived an amazing uh, two years of college. I've, I've developed these amazing relationships. I've got to travel the world and see some amazing countries. And I've gotten to uh, stay up all night studying and writing papers. And I've got to get to know professors. And, and above all that, I've been able to uh, study the Bible and grow in my relationship with God. It has been an incredible opportunity, but during this time, it felt like I was stuck. During this time, I felt like I was never going to get out. During this time, I felt like I was at a low point. It was the lowest I had ever really felt. It was, it was pretty painful. There's no doubt that the son here felt a lot of pain. He felt like he was actually at a very, very low point in his life. But I do not even want to try to compare my situation to his situation. Because as Jesus tells it here, he was working among the pigs. I mean, I'm literally on a beautiful campus in Southern California, and he's working with the pigs, right? Like, I can't even start to compare these two things. But the reality is, that if I can help you grow contact, uh, get context here, to a Jewish listener, they would have cringed at the thought of this. They would have heard this story for Jesus, and, and they literally would have cringed because they would be like, no, what, he's working with pigs? I, I need to help you understand here, like, pigs were unclean animals. Pigs were not clean. They were, they were ceremonially unclean. So if someone were to come in contact with a pig or eat a pig or anything like that, you would have to wash yourself. You'd have to go through this ritual before you could ever approach God. So this was like the lowest point as a Jew. This was like the lowest point in the entire society. This was like, this was embarrassing. This was humiliating. And so he's working among the pigs here. In a very, very, very low point of his life. Probably the lowest point ever. It's gross, yes, physically, but spiritually he would have also been dead. And then we see the, turn, uh, the tables turn. We see here the son, it says he came to his senses. Luke tells us he, he came to his senses. And so what happens is he goes and he realizes, oh, I can actually go back to my father. I would never dare go back as a son, but I can go back as a slave. It said he took off, he did not have his shoes on, and he just started walking, and he, he developed this pathetic little speech to give to his dad. And so he comes, and it says that the father was standing there looking out on the horizon. He saw his son approaching, and what does he do? If you know this story, he runs after him. Men in this society were not supposed to run. This was not politically correct, but the, the father runs out to the son. He runs out to him, and he hugs him, and he kisses him. 
And before the son could even get out this pathetic little speech, he says, no, no, no. I'm not, you're not going to be my slave. We're actually going to throw a party. He gives him sandals on his feet, which show that he's not going to be a slave, but he will be his son. He puts jewelry on his hands and on his body, representing that he will not be a slave, but he will be his son. This is the greatest welcome home ever. Dad, Mom, you guys should do this for me, by the way. This would be good. <laughs> but the reality is, this is a welcome home that he doesn't care where the son's been. He doesn't care what he did with the money. He doesn't even ask. It just says that he welcomed him home as he was. We see this incredible response by the father. And then it turns a little bit. And it says that they have a party, and, and, they, and they kill a calf, and they eat, and they feast, and, and they, they dance. It's a party. And the DJ is probably playing his favorite song at this point. And what the worst part of all is that the, son, the older son is off in the distance. He's working in the fields. He's working in the fields and he hears the dancing. He hears. He's, like, he's probably like, yo, that's my, that's my brother's favorite song. Right? Like he hears the dancing and the partying and everything going on. And he, and he thinks to himself, what is going on? So him and, and his father meet up. So it's the older son and the father and he's questioning him. You've never even killed a goat for me and my friends. And now you're going to welcome home my brother who spent all the money? It doesn't make sense. In fact, it actually, in this story that Jesus is telling these people, it seems like the older brother is the only person actually thinking. It seems like the oldest brother is the only smart one in this situation. Why would you welcome him back after he went and spent all of your hard-earned money in the faraway land? And Jesus, or I'm sorry, the, the Father responds here in an incredible way. And I want to read this to you in Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 32. It's an incredible statement that I want, to, I want to latch on to today and talk more about. It says, but we had to celebrate and be glad. The Father tells the Son, we had to celebrate and be glad about your younger brother. It says, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He tells, he tells him here that your brother was lost and is now found. He was dead and he is now alive. Your brother has come home and we're going to welcome him home. Yes, he squandered everything. And yes, he spent everything that I gave him. But we're going to welcome him home. Not as a slave, but as a son. And as a brother. And as family. This is an incredible response by the Father. And many of us know this story. And this story is kind of the essence of the gospel message. This is our story. I mean, if, you, if you've been here for, for uh, maybe a long time, you've had a relationship with Jesus, or you've experienced Jesus in some way, you know that this is the essence of the gospel. This is, this is why Jesus came. So that we, we were lost, and now we are found. We were dead, and now we are alive. This is our testimony. And we get to share this with people. But see, often enough, we share this with other people about what it's happened, how it's happened to us. And reality is, we kind of tune out. I, I know what you're kind of thinking, like, this was me and it's no longer me. I was lost and now I'm found. I was dead and now I'm alive. Now I am found. I have a question, does, has, it, have you ever, has anyone ever lost something? Can I see a raise of hands? You guys are really good. Okay, all right, that's more accurate. So, so I, I don't know if you've ever lost something that's like of importance. I remember um, being on a boat one time, and, and my mom had her phone in her hand. And I don't know how phone went to water, but somehow phone went to water. And all of a sudden, we're panicking, and we're realizing we need to get this phone out. And so it was about 15 feet deep where we were at. 
And so my dad goes diving, plunging into the water, searching from the phone. It was that moment of panic. It was like, oh, no, we got to go. Because, you know, in case you don't know, phones are usually not waterproof, right? And so my dad goes plunging, and he wants to get in as quick as he can. But there was this moment of panic. As we were sitting on the boat, we were realizing, oh, no, we got to do something. We got to do something fast. Like, it's time urgent here, right? I question, uh, I'm not a parent, so I can't necessarily relate to this situation, but I was wondering, is there any parents who have maybe lost a child, like at Disneyland, or at the mall, or the sewer? Okay, one person, a couple, okay, a couple people. Uh, <laughs> you're not the worst mom here, don't worry. <laughs> but, but, but I, so I, I, again, I, I can't tell you from experience, I'm, I'm not a father, um, newsflash, but the reality is I've heard from many people that when you lose your child uh, at Disneyland or, or maybe on the mall or a supermarket of some type, it, it's a very tense situation. You go from very relaxed, right, and you're just walking down the street or whatever, and you look around, and all of a sudden your child's gone. And in this moment, your heart drops. You get clammy. You get sweaty. You get nat- Like, you just all of a sudden start to panic. Your adrenaline rises, and all of a sudden in this moment, you're like, I need to do something. It's time urgent, right? And so we have to, we have to uh, find my child as quick as I can. But the funny thing about what usually happens in these stories is that usually you go and you're, you're walking in Disneyland, so you retrace your steps. And then you go around and you see this giant castle off in the distance. And as you turn the corner, you see your child. They're perfectly okay. They're licking on the ice cream that you bought them 10 minutes ago. In fact, they're just mesmerized by the castle in front of them. The child has no idea that they're even lost. In fact, in this moment, they're, they're very, very scared. Or they're, they're very, actually, they're very normal. You're very scared, right? In this moment, you're, you're just terrified. And as you see them, they don't even realize how lost that they truly are. As we bring it back to our story this morning, many of us tune this out. Many of us read this story and, and think, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead and now I'm alive. I'm okay now. I'm, I'm good. And so many of us hear this story that, that is the message of the gospel. But we think that's not me. I'm good. I have a relationship with God. You, may, you, may have, you might be going to church uh, and you might have gone longer than I've even been alive. Like you, you might have been a faithful churchgoer. You might have a relationship with Jesus that has lasted a long time. But in reality here, I just want to challenge you with the thought then maybe are we more like the younger son than we care to admit? Because I believe, as we read this story, this is actually truly applicable to ourselves and to our story. We were dead, and now we are alive. But yeah, and yes, this can be true for you. Yes, this can be your story. But it does not mean at this moment that we're perfectly okay. It doesn't mean that as soon as we step into the light and experience Jesus for the first time, that now we are holier than thou, and now we have it all put together, and now we can just keep walking the road with Jesus, and I don't lie, cheat, steal, I don't do anything. Like, I'm a perfect human being. That's not the story of the God. That's just not our story. In fact, when we step into the light, everything changes, and we actually realize how messed up we really are. And so in this moment, when we realize how dead we are, that is when we can become alive. Is in our de- in our, when we find out that we are dead and we are lost, that is when we can step into the light. And we tend to read this story and think, no, this story's not for me. It was my testimony. It was my story. But I want to challenge you with an idea that we are actually more like the younger son than we care to admit. 
then in fact, if we're to be brutally honest for ourselves, well, with ourselves just for a moment, that we are actually quite still messed up. There's still things in our lives that we are ashamed of, that we have guilt over, like there's still areas that we don't want to show people. That if we're to be really honest with ourselves, our transition into the light was a transition, but in reality, we're still sort of walking in darkness in time. There's still times of our life when we choose not to follow God, but instead follow our flesh. In fact, if we're to be honest with ourselves, we are like the younger son who knew the father. Catch this, he knew the father, he lived with the father, he lived in luxury and in wealth, and he chose intentionally to step away from the father. He actually, he was with the father. It wasn't like he never knew the father. He was with the father and chose to suck and walk away from the father. And what I'm not asking, I'm not, I'm not saying that you've you know, fully walked away or that you don't have a relationship with God. What I'm asking you is that, how are you in some areas maybe walking away from the Father? That there are areas of your life that you, you don't like to talk about, that you don't want to talk about. But in reality, if you're to be brutally honest with yourself for a second, there are areas in your life in which you are pursuing your flesh. The things of this world. See, I, I brought this up because I think this uh, really accurately describes our life. It really it really accurately describes our life here when we come to church. That in fact when we come to church, we look something like this. Like you guys got your cute little button-ups on and you got your long flowing dress and you got that beautiful smile on your face, but the reality is deep down there's something going on. That if you're willing to be honest just for a moment, that this is not your reality right now. That we put this on, and, and that's okay, but then when I go home, there's other things that I'm thinking about. That if we're to be honest with ourselves, uh, this is not us at all, actually. And what scares me is that Christians have become very good at doing this. That when we come to church, we put this over our face, and we look clean, and we look good. But what scares me is this is not really who we are. Because remember, when we step into the light and realize how messed up we really are was the best moment of our entire life. Because then we realize that we actually need Jesus. And so this is terribly wrong. I don't want to be a people that walks around church looking like this. But I want to be more honest with ourselves just for a moment and talk about what's actually going on in our lives. Because if we're to be really honest with ourselves, there's actually stuff going on that we don't like to talk about and we don't want to bring into the light, but there are things going on in our life. And I don't know what this is for you. The reality is you might have a pride problem. This might be you, and I, I don't know where you're coming from today, but you might have told a lie that led to another one and then led to another one, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where you're lying and lying and lying. And all of a sudden you find yourself in this deep dark hole because you cannot get out of what you've done. I don't know where you come from today. I don't know if this is rage. I don't know if, if you find yourself in a situation where this is just something you go back to. I don't know if you're searching for intimacy in the wrong places and lust has taken over your life. That if you're to be really honest, even though maybe nobody knows in the entire world, lust is actually a reality for you. And you never thought you would be this far from Jesus, but in this time, it's taken over your life. I don't know if this is you. I don't know if, if, if you've been irresponsible. 
with your money. I don't know if, wow, I don't think I can spell. That's embarrassing. Work with me here. Um, I don't know if you find yourself in a financial crisis. <laughs> I don't know if you find yourself in a financial crisis where, where, you, uh, where all of a sudden you're in this tricky situation that you've dug your own hole. That in fact you've, you're now up to debt to your nostrils. You can barely breathe because you have not been a good steward with what God's given you. Is this you today? Or any of this you. I mean, we walk around church like this is, this is not us at all. And in fact, we are a clean slate. But if we're really to be honest, there are still areas in which we're, we're running after our own flesh. That in fact, if we're really to be honest, maybe uh, you, you walk the walk and talk the talk at church. But, but man, if you really be honest for a second, your language outside of church doesn't even reflect that you know Jesus. That in reality, there are the, the words you say and the jokes you make and the language you use does not reflect that you know Jesus or have you ever experienced Jesus. That you can walk the walk and talk the talk at church, but this, in reality, is not you outside of church at all. I don't know if you're walking through life in secrecy and you find yourself in a situation where there's something that nobody else in this entire world knows. Or maybe just a few people, but certainly not the people here. I don't know where you find yourself today, but what I want to make the, the, the claim is that we are more like the younger son than we care to admit. That if we're really honest with ourselves just for a moment that we stepped into the light, but we're still pursuing some of our own desires. That this is maybe a better representation of this group right here. That we think we have the clean slate, but in reality... This is what this room actually better looks like. I'm afraid to talk about this. It's not fun to talk about this. But in reality, this is what happens. And Christians have become so good at, at pushing it back. But you find yourself in this situation right now where you're like, man, my life is messed up. I'm filled with shame and with guilt. And I feel like I cannot get out of this situation. That in fact, right now, if you're to be really honest with yourself, you actually feel like there's a barrier between you and God. That you've dug your own hole. You've chosen to pursue the things of your flesh. And now God is, seems so much farther than he could ever be. Like, I used to think Jesus was with me. And now I just can't even get to him. I feel like he's not listening. I feel like everything I do and everything I try to do does not matter. Because in reality, I cannot get to God. Like, there's this barrier that has been set up between you guys. And what I'm scared to talk about is that maybe sin has gotten in your way. That in fact, we are just like the younger son. That we have chosen to walk away from the Father. That maybe we have chosen in some areas of our life to pursue the things of our flesh. It says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 23, Jesus kind of draws a line in the dirt for us. He kind of draws this line for us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 23. And it says, verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those things, uh, those that live like those, I'm sorry, but those who will, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That in fact, if this is us, then we cannot even inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't 
makes sense. And so it goes on to say in, in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Jesus draws this line in the sand. He says the things of the flesh and the things of the Spirit. The, the things of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. He says if this is you, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that if you find yourself in a situation where you have chased after these things, and it's quite tricky. But Jesus is making an invitation to you today. He's making an invitation for you to come home. He's inviting you back, and it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've walked. It doesn't matter how far away from the Father that you have gone. It doesn't matter how much of His wealth that you've squandered. But the reality is God is asking you to come home today. Jesus is inviting you back home. And he doesn't say you have to get it all together. He says, come messy. You see the story of this parable. It says, he came as he was. He didn't clean up. He didn't clean all the, the, the pig nastiness off of him. But in fact, he just came as he is. And the father got down and hugged him and kissed him just as he was. We have a Jesus who takes us just as we are. In fact, we do not have to clean ourselves up because we think that this is such a bad thing and that we need to work and, and just grind and try to get this out of our life the best we can. But in fact, in 1 John 1-9, through 9, it says if we confess our sins, He is faithful, He is just, and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We have a Jesus who makes this part easy. He, we have a Jesus who does this part for us. It is not our job to do this. You have to simply come to Jesus, and Jesus will take you in as you are. We do not worship a God who says to get it all together. But he says, come messy and all, and I will do the hard work. I will do the hard work. Jesus came for you so that you may be in relationship with him. Today, Jesus is inviting you back home. And as we, start, as we close and as I pray, I want to invite you to think about your own life. Where are you lost in your life right now? How are you just like the younger son? If you were to be really honest just for a moment, like the son came to his senses, will you come to your senses? Will you realize right now that life isn't just a clean slate as I try to put on? But in reality, if you're be honest with yourself, that actually I'm a little bit messed up. Will you pray with me right now? Jesus, we, we, we hear from you this morning that you are inviting us home. God, that in fact, we are not here and have to clean ourselves up, but in fact, we have an opportunity to come to you just as we are. With all of the nasty, messy, tricky stuff in our life, we are invited to come to you right now. So God, I pray that we can come to you right now. That in this moment, we can confess what we've done. And God, we can trust in the fact that you have done a good work first so that we may live with you now. God, thank you for this call. Thank you for your son who died on the cross so that we may have life. We love you. And I pray.